Hey, Augmenters. I'm Jimmy. And I'm Julie. And we believe authentic, connected relationships are the key to growing to your potential. Today, we are joined by Rebecca Ackerman, CEO of Mentor Hub, to share the three key elements you need for impactful mentoring programs. This was such a phenomenal episode. Rebecca did such a great job bringing us together with some of the three key elements you need for your mentoring program. We had a fantastic conversation with Rebecca Ackerman and our three takeaways shown clearly at the end of the conversation. One was that the way to be a mentoring superhero is to first know your own kryptonite. Two, supportive accountability is crucial in mentoring relationships. And three, the Ogtro is... Know your purpose. Purpose. Without further ado, here we go. Rebecca Ackerman, we are so happy to have you on Augmenters today. Welcome. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I am so excited for this conversation. Jimmy and I basically accosted you in your booth at, well, I accosted you first and then I brought Jimmy along at the mentoring summit that we were at in January. And it was just wonderful to get to meet you. You are the CEO of Mentor Hub, which we're going to hear all about, but really I got so much from our conversation and the richness of this platform that you're bringing forward around mentoring. As you probably know, Jimmy and I are kind of, I don't know, we're mentoring fans, we're mentoring supporters, but we're not mentoring experts. So we're really excited to have you on to talk a little bit more about your work, about Mentor Hub, and about how people looking to create great mentoring programs can use your software. So tell us about yourself first. Yeah, so I came to the mentoring world actually through education. And a big part of what I realized was that for young people, in order to be able to achieve, they needed to be in relationship with the people around them. They needed to feel safe. They needed to have the psychological safety to take risks. That's the basis of learning. And Mm -hmm. so mentoring for me was something that I brought into the schools when I was in the schools as an administrator and as a teacher, and then had the opportunity to work in the youth development space and develop mentoring programs outside of schools. So to me, it's always been, the theme has always been relationship and how relationships can create the psychological safety for growth, essentially. Rebecca, how did you get into youth mentoring? Were you mentored as a youth? Is that what brought you to it? I wasn't part of a formal mentoring program, but I can point to individuals in my past at various points who sort of stepped in and said, I see you and I see, you know, your superpowers are, and I see where your struggles are and those struggles don't have to define you. And I want to kind of turn up the volume or amplify your strengths and really show you that those are things to be celebrated and leveraged to overcome the areas that you're struggling. And so to me, at various points in my development as a young person, as an adult, in my professional life, mentoring has always kind of been these different touch points that I've experienced in various ways. Rebecca, I'm kind of curious about how you've seen, you have this experience with big brothers and big sisters of Middle Tennessee, how potentially different geographies affect, this is a really specific question, but how different geographies affect the relationships with youths in in mentoring? Like, are are there different approaches that have been like tried and tested that you've seen? And like, how have you then been able to try to incorporate them into what you're doing now? I want to ask the question about the geographies, because I'm wondering, are you asking about regional differences? Are you asking about different proximity? Any of the above? Yeah, I, I think you're going to be educating us either way. Well, I think that, you know, a big part of what we're focused on at Mentor Hub is about access. And I think there is no question that certain geographic areas, certain populations have different levels of access to the kinds of relationships that really open the door to opportunity, that open the 
the door to, to kind of insight and growth. And so that isn't to say that there aren't mentoring, you know, relationships that occur everywhere. It's just a question of who has access to those relationships in abundance. And that's often a function of privilege. That's often a function of geography. Mm -hmm. So if we look at like the mm -hmm. research around, around access to mentors within, within rural communities, within communities or populations that might experience uh, systemic or structural barriers to accessing support in an authentic way. And I know authenticity is actually a really important piece of that. And that's a big part of our work as well, right? It's one thing to provide effective mentoring. It's another thing to provide effective and affirming mentoring. And so I think that's where we see differences, right? We see differences in particular areas where someone might have a goal and they might be able to receive mentorship around that goal, but that mentorship, that mentoring relationship is stifled because there's an aspect of that per young person that's not safe to share or that isn't aligned mm. to who the the mentor is or what they're there to provide. So I think that's where I see differences is that certain populations, either because of geography, either because of social constructs or bigotry, frankly, are going to be more likely to benefit from mentoring over others. I actually thought you were going to ask Jimmy who it was that saw you and said, like, who it was at that mentor, because we love like really specific questions. When you mentioned that you had mentors early in your life that said, I see you and I see, you know, what you what your superpowers are and what you struggle with. Do you have a specific story or a specific shout out we can make for a mentor? Yeah, and I'm like getting emotional actually as you're thinking about this because I can picture this calendar that was all pictures of Hawaii, totally oh, random, so right? Beautiful. It's beautiful, beautiful pictures of Hawaii. And I held that calendar for years and years and years beyond because Mr. Picard, who was my speech and forensics teacher, pulled me aside one day, actually. And I had been in his class and I was, an, I think I was a sophomore and his class was allowed for like juniors and seniors, but I was somehow allowed to be in it. Mm. I didn't really know him well, but I guess people figured I had the gift of gab. And so they're like, let's throw some training. I can see that for um, you. I can see that for you. And I just remember Mr. Picard actually pulling me outside of the classroom one day and said that he wasn't coming back that semester, the next semester. And it turns out actually, unfortunately, that he, he passed away from AIDS-related causes at that point. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that until later. Didn't realize that what he was saying was goodbye. And he said, and he gave me this calendar and it was just like, it was like halfway through the year. So it wasn't exactly a really relevant calendar, but it was lots of pictures. <laughs> and I kept that calendar for so many years because what he was able to do was to just say, I see you, the world is complicated. There's lots of things going on around you, but you need to know you're okay. And you're gonna do great things if you just stick to being who you are. And to me, that I think is sort of probably the first and foremost mentor that I, I remember kind of saying, oh, like he wasn't seeing my gift of gab as being something that needed to be, maybe it needed to be honed, maybe it needed to be refined, but it was not seen as something that needed to be suppressed, but in fact channeled. And I think that to me was, was an important experience with mentoring early on. And did you find that you took that experience into your work in youth mentoring? Like, did you have that Mr. Picard, was that his name? Yeah, yeah, Mr. Picard, yeah, pre-Star Trek, because I'm old. <laughs> I was, was going to ask, I was going to ask. But yeah, no, no, pre-Star pre Trek. It did, because I did take that with me, and I think I took it into a lot of my relationships, and the relationships that I've seen as the most enriching for me often had that same theme, right? My most recent mentor, I would say, is the, my former boss, the CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Middle Tennessee. She said to me, hey, you have superpowers, you also have kryptonite, and 
those two things can actually exist together, right? You don't have to, you know, a superhero doesn't have, is not somebody with the absence of weakness, right? It's someone who actually knows how to manage the weakness and deal with it. And she was one of the first people who said, I don't pay you to schedule meetings with 15 people. I pay you to connect dots and multiply impact. And that's what I want you to spend your time with. And so stop beating yourself up about these tasks that I can get a virtual assistant or a scheduler to do and spend more time doing the thing that I, only I can do well in that situation. And, and she was really the sponsor of my, she is the reason, Melissa Hudson Gann, I'll say it. She is the reason I am in this position right now because she saw my passion. She saw the vision I had for Mentor Hub. And she said, you know, this is an organization you need to be at the helm of. And, and so she really helped me move into this position. That is amazing. I really like the combination of like, you can't really have superpowers without kryptonite and that you become the superhero when you can manage them. Yeah. I love that too. Cause I think, you know, our podcast is really for growing leaders. It's a really a leadership podcast around mentoring and helping people connect more authentically with others and grow to their potential. And one of the biggest challenges with being a leader is that you suddenly realize you're not the one doing the doing, you're the one leading. And then like, what do you actually do? So I love that her encouragement that when you step in to your leadership, you are actually not necessarily doing the doing, you're setting the agenda and connecting with others to be able to grow to their potential, which is, you know, part of mentoring as well. So that's so cool to hear how she helped you think of that. And then now in your role, tell us a little bit more about Mentor Hub and, you know, your transition and how the organization is transitioning. Yeah, yeah. And just to kind of dovetail on that last point that I made, I think this is really an important point around leadership is that we have a huge culture of leadership, a cult of leadership personality, right? This idea that there is a particular persona that one puts on, right, when they're going to be a leader, right? They're, you know, oh, okay, now I don't struggle with anything. Now my emotions are reserved. Now I don't have a problem with like a big pile of laundry in the background. Now I don't have any of these things because I'm on top of it. It's the whole, you know, it's the whole LinkedIn kind of humble brag and all of that stuff, right? You know, to me, the, the other thing that Melissa gave me permission to do as a mentor is to own what I'm not good at and to, yeah. to be like, you know what, I'm going to surround myself with people who are really good at those things that I'm not good at. And then I'm going to take direction. Then I'm going to listen and get advice and to not have to be the quote unquote leader, right? So this idea is an important one. And it's one that I brought to Mentor Hub. And I think Mentor Hub was founded really this idea that there is inequitable access to kinds of the relationships and resources and opportunities that people need to thrive, that the ability to achieve health and well-being and prosperity is too often tied to who someone is, where they live, or what they can afford, and that Mentor Hub is here to democratize access. So as a platform, as an organization that really is advancing approaches to mentoring, what we're focusing on is looking at how we can bridge gaps in service. So there are wonderful mentoring organizations out there doing incredible work who can't quite get to all the people that need mentoring, right? Whether it's because of geography, whether it's because of economies of scale that just in rural communities, it's just really hard to have a volunteer-based mentoring program. It might be, you know, issues... For example, with populations, like, you know, when I first joined Mentor Hub, I was approached by by somebody in the live events industry who worked mm. with touring 
themselves. It was the middle of the pandemic. And what they said was that there were all of these folks who are working as touring professionals whose lifestyles do not allow them to access the kinds of support systems that other folks would be able to access. And so what would it mean for us to have a platform that put in the palm of a mentor's hand evidence-based resources to help with mental health, to help with goal setting, to help support people who are on the road? And how could we leverage peer mentoring and technology to bring access to not only mentorship, but evidence-based resources and supports that mentors can provide access to and encouragement to use to people, to roadie, right? Who just don't have the kinds of networks on the road or access schedule even. That, and, you know, groupies always have other groupies to to support each other. But, you know, that's yeah, They get a little cutthroat in the groupies thing, though. It really does. You got to be careful. <laughs> I don't think they're mentoring. They're not always holding open doors for opportunity. I'm just going to say the groupies are not always holding open doors for opportunity there. So uh, what band were you following and uh, how was it? <laughs> I think I like to refer to myself as a Band-Aid, not a groupie. Yeah. <laughs> now you get to name names. <laughs> yeah, that's this is from Almost Famous. Do you know the movie Almost Famous? Oh, of course. Of course. We're not band-aids, but I'm not going to explain why, what the differences are right now. This is a yes, think, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that is incredible. So you're able to use your mentor, hu- your mentor hub technology to support these touring musicians through, like you said, connecting through peer mentor. How does it work? So actually, let me let me, let me reframe this because I want to be accurate. So we had conversations about this as an example okay. of an Got opportunity. It. And we've had conversations with folks from different, some of the major production companies around kind of the need. We've worked with nonprofits who support musicians, but it's not yet something that Got we it. have built out. But was, what I meant to kind of use it as an example is that we saw the need for access and to the ability to utilize mentorship and trained mentors to deliver support to folks who wouldn't otherwise have access both to mentoring or to the resources that they can provide. So to me, that was the connection. I'm always curious about the diction behind mentoring as there is sometimes, whether it's tropes or like true, you know, like structural systems in place that can make mentoring difficult, but like mentorship as a word, like really interesting to me. And I see you use it sometimes as opposed to other words, you know, how have you seen maybe the use of jargon around mentoring change? And like, where would you want, what words were, do you wish were used more that the communities would understand? You know, like if you don't say mentoring, if you're like, oh, I just, I talked to somebody once a month. Oh, okay. It's an infrequent friend. It's like, no, 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 it's a mentor. You're like, oh, now I get it. But like, like where would you like some of those words to go? as well. So I think Mentor Hub was founded by a researcher, Dr. Jean Rhodes. And one of the things that she was, yeah. yeah. So one of the things she found was that the impact of mentoring overall as a field had not really changed significantly in 30 years of her doing research. And she started to really think about this work or this phrase, supportive accountability. And I think language matters. And I think because mentorship is one of those things that is so overused, like this language is so overused, it can be used almost virtually to describe everything. Like, right, so you can say, you know, the coach is the mentor, the the dance teacher is the mentor, the, you know, person who asks how your day was on the way out of church is your mentor, you know, like it can be very easy, any sort of connected, concerned, interested, you know, person. And so what Jean did, and I think was really compelling, was she talked about this idea of supportive accountability and supportive accountability is simply the process or the practice 
of helping somebody articulate what their goals are, supporting them in achieving them and reminding them what their goals are, holding them accountable to achieving them, reminding them. Accountability. Right. So this idea, that's what a mentor does, right? A mentor helps someone articulate a goal, then they offer support in achieving it. And they also offer a form of accountability, right? You've verbalized, you've stated this goal to this mentor and the mentor is going to say, hey, how was your session at the gym this morning, right? Did it go well? Oh, it didn't? Oh, okay. Thought you were going to go. Like, right? It's, it's that little bit of like nudging. So if you say, not like in that passive aggressive judgment way that I just did. <laughs> <laughs> That's my internal mentor. That's not what you want. <laughs> but more this idea that we do things, right? We're more likely to achieve our goals when we have people who are both cheering us on and helping us remember what those goals are, right? And so goal or the work of a mentor, I really think of as kind of threefold, right? So there's three kind of big components. The first one is understanding the role and the work of supportive accountability, right? This isn't your goal as a mentor. This is theirs, right? You're there to just remind them. You don't take it personally. They don't go to the gym, right? Like it's just them. There's also attunement, which is the idea that the mentor has to take time to attune to what's going on with that individual, to help them determine whether that's the right goal, whether this is the right time, what kind of resources. So when we think about like on our platform, we have a function called the mood rings. We have goal setting is a big part of our platform. But in addition to that, on a weekly basis, sometimes more often if people want to, the mentee will complete what's called a mood ring. And the mood ring really asks about multiple domains across a young person or mentee's life. How's school and work going? How are your relationships? How's your sense of belonging community? How's your mental well-being? How's your physical health? And it's really an opportunity for that mentee to take stock, right? How am I doing in all these different areas? Because the combination of all those areas is the context in which a person is pursuing their goals. And if there's, and in some cases, those that context might actually help or hinder. And so for a mentor to be attuned to the context in which somebody is pursuing a goal means that they are going to more likely be able to offer the support. So if I say my goal is to go to the gym and my mentor knows that my husband just had surgery on Monday, my mentor might say, hey, I'm going to offer a little more support on this one and say it might not have been a realistic goal, right, to go to the gym. It might have been a more appropriate for you to be more gentle with yourself. And and I'm going to offer that up to you so that you can offer it to yourself, right? So that attunement, I think, is important. I love that you said that the mentor might want to offer some more support, like, you know, a friendly shape up <laughs> as attunement. That's, yeah, I like, I like the term a lot. Well, it's a way of noticing, right? And so the mood yeah. ring is as much a tool for the mentee because when I'm sitting there thinking, how is how are my relationships going? How am I feeling emotionally? How is my physical health? When I'm doing that, I will literally, as I complete the mood ring, I slide the slider really to, you know, the, the further to the right I slide the slider, the more it has, that area of my life has been a focus of my attention and an area where I might need more support. And what that is, is an invitation from my mentor to inquire, to ask, wow, like looks like belonging community was a really big focus on your week this week. What happened? What's going on? Is it good? Is it bad? What's happening? Right? It's an opportunity, it's an invitation. It doesn't mean the goal isn't important. It just means that the goal is always happening, happening in context of a life. Right? Oh my God. That's so brilliant. That's so brilliant. 
and even I can think in a you know corporate context, right? It's like you're working towards these goals, but yeah, like your kid's sick or your husband just had surgery or this project that you thought was going to look like X looks like Z to like, you know, the nth degree and you don't even know, you can't get back to those goals but this imagine week. Imagine how rich that would be, right? Imagine yeah. how rich that would be for workplace mentors to be able to understand the whole self of the person in a way that's not intrusive. It's not like you're saying I've been experiencing anxiety. It's that my mental health has been a focus of my attention this week, right? It's just, it allows people to contextualize the work and their growth. Maybe students or, or youth are a little more prepared to share, but I feel like, you know, we always talk about, at least in the workplace, there's always like almost like the, the armor that you put on to get through meetings and whatnot and to provide a mood ring of sorts, though it seems it sounds like it is quite kind of like maybe washed of specific details. It would still mean that you need at least yourself need to look underneath your armor, which can be scary enough for most people, let alone let somebody else like get a feel for what's going on. Do you think as like, I mean, I think I know your answer, but like as a society, are we really there yet to be ready to share that without a supportive community where everybody feels like they're on the same page and in a place where they can share that and not feel overly vulnerable? Well, I think one prerequisite for mentoring, right, is to create some psychological safety, right? So if, if this was right. you filling of the mood ring so that your immediate supervisor could see what's going on in your life. I could see people being a little bit more, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? Right? But the it's idea like, oh, I've seen you really focused on relationships outside of work over the last week. Oh, no wonder <laughs> that project went well or right. poorly. Yeah. Right. But one, it's not specific, right? And two, it's neutral, right? It could be that things are going well or not well, right? Like my relationships are, you know, it doesn't say relationships with peers, relationships with family, relationships with coworkers. It just says relationship. And so that I think is an important distinction. But the other pieces that speaks to when you're thinking about mentoring within a workplace, it speaks to the incredible importance of really making sure that mentors understand what their role is, recognizing that attunement is a two-way street, right? Like the mentor needs to be attuned to the mentee, but the mentee needs to be attuned to the mentor and they're going to be doing both, right? So you have to be thinking about as a mentor, what vibes you're sending out, right? And then the last piece is that anytime you're thinking about doing mentoring or doing building any mentoring program, it has to have a purpose. So, mm. and the purpose has to be resonate. It has to resonate with every party in the relationship, including the workplace itself, right? The workplace might say, we want retent we retain our talent. We want to, you know, increase the diversity of our leadership. We want to, these are the reasons why we're offering this mentoring program. But if there isn't a what's in it for me experience for both the mentor and the mentee, then you're going to have a disconnect. So that mentee has to know why they're making that risk, why they're taking that risk, why they're checking in with themselves and that it's safe to do so. I have to ask before Julie asks probably a smart question. I'm going to, I need to ask, does the mood ring change colors? Like how does this actually working? Like, so it's so cool. And in fact, one of our tests was like, do people just slide it over so they can make pretty changes of color? That has not been the case that we've seen so far, but we will, we are still investigating that. So no. So what happens is the composition, the color distribution on the mood ring changes based on the extent to which something has become a, is a focus or area of challenge for the, the person filling it out. So when I was at the conference, my mentee, her entire mood ring was green. I was like, like nothing has been a focus on her life this week except 
school and work. Well, what's going on? She switched classes. You know, she had a semester, I think one was econ, and then, and then she moved to the civics or government class. And all of a sudden the workload was changing and she, every habit and routine got disrupted. And so that was the big focus of her life, right? So, but it shifts and changes, right? Depending on where people's attention has been. Because it's something our listeners can play with. Or is it only for Mentor Hub subscribers, users, customers? So we're always happy to have people play with the platform to give us feedback. This We are a nonprofit organization. And the reason we are a nonprofit organization was because we wanted to grow and develop this product in a responsive, user-focused way. So if you're... Your listeners want to check this out and see we are happy to hook them up with the experience of playing around on our platform. And then what we ask is that they give us feedback and insight so that we can we can continue to improve the product. Fabulous. And does the name at all come from the nickname as Boston as a city? Boston's called the hub. Is it called the hub? Boston's called the hubs. I mean, it's also called Beantown, but or uh or Bean. <laughs> Championship City, you know. Uh <laughs> I happen to be from there and I still teach oh, up there. I see. So, I see. Yeah, we shouldn't call it Championship City. That's that's a little ridiculous and not the truth these days. But uh, because Gene Rhodes has taught at uh, UMass Boston for so long, I just wondered if that was one of the reasons why that was the name. Honestly, I think the word hub is just hot. Well, I mean, how many, how, like our developer is HubSpire. They're amazing. They're an amazing software and app developer. HubSpire, HubSpot is a sponsor of yours. Like there's just so many, so many hubs, like we're like the hub. But what I will say is that there is a reason behind hub, which is this idea that our organization is not there to replace other organizations. It's really there to build networks or ecosystems of connectivity between organizations and to extend the reach. It's not about, it's about looking at where services, you know, have been extended to and then seeing if we can bridge gaps further. And so that's where I see. If I may, I don't have anything beautiful, but the other top two nicknames before the hub of the universe, Boston likes to call itself the cradle of liberty and also the Athens of America. So it's probably good Ooh. that hub works. Yeah, it's not it's not mentor cradle. That might be a <laughs> So a I ha- I take exception with the Athens of America because I live in Nashville and that's the Athens of the South. So I guess our ambition oh. we, we 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 suffer from a little bit more like reserve, you know, <laughs> southern like, you know. Boston's a go big or go home kind right. of town. Like, go big, go home. We're just like, well, we'll just be the Athens of the South. That's good. That's good enough for us. We do have the Parthenon though. But yeah, it has a life-size statue of Athena inside. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Wow. We will have no to idea. take a road trip and come see you and find a diner and then go to the Parthenon. But before we do that, I have more questions about yeah. Mentor Hub. And I also want to understand outside of Mentor Hub as an amazing platform that of course is used for youth, but also used with different organizations, like you said, with adults. Outside of Mentor Hub, what are other key elements to a mentoring program mm. you would recommend within kind of a corporate business setting. Yeah. And I think, you know, Mentor Hub itself is a tool and it's, it can be a useful tool or it can be not a useful tool, right? Like my perspective is that it starts with purpose. Like our work, even as an organization, when we do thought partnership or consulting, we do not start with our product. We start with the purpose. What's the purpose behind mentoring? What do you want to accomplish? How will you be able to say at the end of the day that it was successful and whose definition of success matters most? So that would be the first thing is that any organization that is considering doing mentoring, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's with youth, any of them need to understand what is in fact, the goal of the mentoring experience. And that's important because it allows and helps mentors and mentees form a working alliance much more quickly than if you're just saying to them, 
become friends because we know that that never works. Anyone who's you know, had kids or been a kid whose parents have been like, be friends. It doesn't quite work that way, right? So giving, <laughs> giving a purpose to the work allows people to see their own goals in that work. And then it allows you to build a program that's actually aligned to that purpose to achieve that purpose. So I think that would be the first thing. Mentoring feels good. It feels intuitively like it's going to help. It doesn't always help if it's not executed well, right? The last yeah. thing you want is in a work to be set up for success. Right. That's the other piece that I would say is that the lever of change in mentoring programs is the mentor, not the mentee, which means that you have to invest in the mentor. The success of a mentor, the effectiveness of a mentoring program is really limited to the effectiveness of the mentors that they deploy. And so you have to understand the purpose and then support those mentors and helping them achieve that purpose by helping them build skills, helping them feel supported themselves, mentoring the mentor, right? And so it's that's a key and important agreement. I think a lot of times what happens in a lot of workplaces or mentoring programs is that they rush, they put people together, they say, oh, you're a senior person with this experience, you're a senior person, well, you guys come together that, you know, we're going to ask you to get together once a month for lunch and, you know, just talk about things, right? Like, yeah, we call it smashing people together. Yeah. Right, exactly. And, you know, you will get exactly what you planned for, which is completely inconsistent, unreplicable results with that, right? Or you'll be able to replicate inconsistent results right? yeah. <laughs> over and over again, right? So to me, I think that's a piece is that you have to invest in the mentors. There's a big debate in the mentoring world. Who is the client, right? Who is, who's the customer of a mentoring program? And very often big heated debates between, well, the, the young person or the mentee is the client versus the mentor is the client. And the answer is both. The client of the mentor is the mentee, mm -hmm. but the client of the mentoring program is the mentor. So, so you actually say it's not a two-sided market. You're saying it is the mentoring program fully focuses on the mentor and therefore is going to significantly affect the outcome of the mentee. Let me admit a little asterisk there, right? right? So so what I would say is this, I think of it like headhunting. When you think about like, so in my previous work as a chief talent officer for, for an education nonprofit, and I recruited leaders to start new schools in areas of Tennessee, and we created a fellowship for that. And the idea is the mentoring program works on behalf of young people, right? So they are the clients. So mentoring programs are headhunters. Mm. Young people ask for, you know, mentees ask for mentors that meet certain characteristics, that can help them achieve certain goals. And it is the mentoring program's job to headhunt mentors and prepare those mentors to deliver those results, right? It's not enough to just send, you know, you would never pay a headhunter to send you a stack of resumes, right? Or to send you one resume and say, here, here's what you get. Right. Right. So it's informed by the market. The market is the are the mentee. Mm. But in order to satisfy the need of the market, you have to produce a service. And because that service can, you know, is not a widget, but a person, you have to serve those people providing that service. Right. So it's not exactly one sided, but it is the more you know what the mentees want out of the re relationship, the more you will be able to prepare, support, and equip mentors to deliver it and mm. recruit mentors to deliver it because not all mentors want to deliver what mentees are asking for. And that's an important thing to know. Mm. You only know that if you know what your purpose is. Like any good meeting, you need to have a purpose and a mentoring relationship is definitely a meeting of two people. Indeed. And it is one of those areas that I still have as kryptonite. So there you go. <laughs> like <laughs> Setting a purpose for a meeting? 
setting agendas for a meeting in advance. You never know where the meeting's going to go. So you never know uh, exactly what direction it's going to end up in. <laughs> so there you go. Now I have to go back. No, I love that. I love that. That gives, that gives like, a, I think that just gives a really important structure because that's something we hear. Of course, when we talk about mentoring, there's a bit of a like, oh, you know, right. There was the, the thing and the guy showed up and we sat in the office and he had lunch and then he kind of, you know, gave me some advice about stuff and then that was it. And then I kind of was on my own or, you know, we kind of stayed in touch after a stretch of time, but especially in a corporate environment, if you are all within the same company, it can be quite complicated as well because you obviously need psychological safety and you need to understand, you know, the barriers and the boundaries and the politics. But what I really loved exploring more about your platform and mentor hub was just the ability to have a lot of clarity between your goals, you know, activities. This was, you know, particularly around youth, but I'm sure within the adult environment also activities that you can work on together that help you explore how you're going to get to your goals, like what kind of actions can you be taking? So I think having that stru the structure is just incredible. And I think you have a lot of phenomenal tools to do that. I have one more question for you. And I was just thinking about this. If you could get any population to use your mentor hub and really have a successful opportunity for growth, is there like your manifest wish group of people? I mean, besides ACDC fans, or I don't know if there's, you know, somebody else, but is there like a particular group that you're like, God, I would love to see these people really rock mentoring and like change the world. I would love to see mentoring become a tool of normalized as a tool for the extension of systems of care, like mental health delivery and human services delivery. I think that we have an opportunity, we have a shortage of mental health workers in our, in this country. We have mental health workers that we do have are overworked and they're often not representative of the communities that are least likely to be able to access mental health care, right? So they have the greatest unmet need and the people who are in those roles don't reflect those cultures or communities. And mm -hmm. what I think, if I could wave a magic wand, I would build a, a mental health delivery service system for this country that involves tiered services, that involves therapeutic mentoring or mentors who are paraprofessionals with a very limited barrier to, to entry. So they're supervised and they essentially could be frontline support so that people wouldn't have to wait to receive a supportive ear when they had a mental health need. That to me would be huge. And shout out to Massachusetts. Massachusetts is the only state in the country that has therapeutic mentoring designations certification. So people can become certified to deliver mentoring. What that therapeutic mentor does is they are not therapists. They are simply providing supportive accountability to help that person who's receiving support practice the new skills in their natural environment implement insights that they're gaining, step into more extensive care or step out of more intensive care, but it's a way for somebody to have somebody walking alongside them as they mm. are addressing them. And to me, it exists in other countries. It does not exist in, in the U.S. Yet, we did get an AmeriCorps planning grant and we are in the process of doing a feasibility study to look at what it would take to launch, to launch such a an initiative as an AmeriCorps program. So core mentors, that's what I'm calling it. That's very exciting. I'm curious though, do these mentors get paid? They do, and they are third party reimbursed. Mm. Oh, yeah, so so it's all about the data, obviously. If you can have the data, you're showing that the insurance company's costs go down, you're good to go. Have you looked into any chance of uh, community servings in Boston? They're a big nonprofit that has medically tailored meals. And huh. they were able to prove to insurance companies that they were reduced costs by upwards of 14% for the 50% uh, or the 5% of the individuals that caused 50% of the insurance costs. And once they proved that, their revenue went up significantly. But they needed the data. 
Yeah, no, and I think that that data is really, really critical in this case as well. I think we need the data. We also need to show the return on investment, right? Like, and I guess that is the data, right? But but the idea is that not only the impact, but how this, this in fact, by adding this additional support, it makes it more likely the therapeutic process, which is an expensive process, which people are much more likely to prescribe a pill than they are to, to mm-hmm. engage, you know, in therapy. That said, you know, and there is research that shows that psychoeducational learning combined with supervised practice in natural settings has a much better impact and longer term impact on the mental health and well-being of the people who are engaged in that process than without supervised practice. So why wouldn't we take the therapeutic insights and skills that they're learning inside a session and actually bring it forward? Or, and this is, I think, another piece of the, the puzzle, not everybody who's having mental distress needs a licensed clinician. Yeah, yeah. Right? Sometimes they actually just need somebody who has some training a therapeutic ear who knows that it needs to be escalated to somebody with a clinical background or not. And what this does is it becomes a way to triage and preserve resources so that not every, you know, person who's looking up, you know, I need a therapist is having to go to to a psychiatrist or to a to a licensed clinical professional when they have the opportunity to first be seen and assessed under the supervision, right, of a licensed clinical professional by a therapeutic mentor. That makes so much sense. And it is not something I had ever thought of. And it's a huge, that's blowing my mind because there is just an element of you need somebody, you know, that there's just an element of having somebody to talk to and talking things through. Not, not like that didn't happen earlier today when I called Jimmy like halfway in tears and he was my therapeutic mentor today, but you're not getting paid. I'm sorry. Un- right. Uncertified. Uncertified and, and unpaid. And we call it tri-mentoring actually. We call it targeted, restorative, and youth-driven mentoring is kind of how we're thinking about it, right? That the idea is that this does not have to be about healing, right? This can be yeah. about creating another person in that that person's network that can be somebody they reach out to. That can be a helpful and of service. I love that. That is such a brilliant way to think of mentoring. Jimmy, do you have another population that you would love to see? I was just kind of struck that, I mean, one, you're giving me this big idea of like, look, if we can actually promote mental health through mentoring by, as you said, investing in the mentors and getting them paid. That also gets over the biggest objection I run into. Like I just started a mentoring initiative at one of the Tufts universities, uh, graduate schools where I teach at. And it was hard to get alums to commit to 20 minutes a week for 10 weeks. And I mean, like locked in 20 minutes, I gave, you know, I basically was, was like writing over, you know, a guarantee of my like personal bank account that we wouldn't go over 20 minutes. They still weren't all that interested. So that to me is a potentially really big deal. And if you can continue to push that out with data to get to get more people to sign up and then you're teaching folks about mentoring and positive relationships, well, that's a, then hopefully a scalable loop because now more people are already trained on this and can hopefully help others just informally by being, you know, better members of communities. I don't know. I assume sports fans from different cities could really uh, be better set up to mentor each other, such as Philadelphia and LA right now could like help each other out from being big time losers. But I say, I say that nicely. You know, that like, is so He's throwing all the Boston around today. Yeah. yeah. yeah we're <laughs> But I, I also, some, I mean, your terms, I mean, Rebecca, I was immediately drawn to you when uh, Julie introduced us because like your language is just like so on point. Yeah, you like 
you, you take me on like a journey through all these different words. You have definitions of them. They all tie together, you know, just as you like casually rock through the tri, you know, acronym. That was amazing right there. And to me, that's like really exciting because I really think that mentoring needs to have some new diction quickly because to me, mentorship just is something that I don't want to see continuing to be used, you know, in 2050. And you've already dropped some of the you know things that you hope to see. I was wondering, do you have any terms that you actively ask the mentors that you train to not use when talking to a mentee? We have a no-fly list for mentors or for mentees when they're reaching out to a mentor to like, don't say, may I pick your brain? You know, don't say, will you be my mentor right away? That can be a little too formal. Is there any no-fly list that you train mentors to maybe don't ask, you know, what was the number one band that you were a roadie for or a groupie for, (laughs) you know, when you were younger? Yeah, especially in the workplace, I think that's probably a dangerous <laughs> question to ask. And if they're minors, then you really need to be careful about that as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I, it's less about the language and more about the mindsets to be aware of, right? Like to be aware of and to, to be cautious about. So anytime you get into the realm of what we like to call sort of a savior mentality, the I'll do it for you or I'll show you kind of thing. I think you have to be mindful of, I think you have to be mindful of the extent to which you may be generalizing from your own experience and that experience may be different than the mentees. So, you know, I think the word should, right? I love it. Like that's the, you know, if you find yourself saying you should. You just say don't should on people. Don't should on people. people. You haven't heard that? What? And then once you start thinking it, you're like, oh my God. And you're like, oh my God, I just totally should have done that person. Yeah. Everybody should smells. Yeah. I hear you. <laughs> See, you went there. You went there. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, what else was I supposed to think about? <laughs> I think you, you stepped found, in it, dude. You stepped in it. I stepped in your should. <laughs> Big pile of should. <laughs> Um, that's, that's like uh, Kmart's great commercial. Remember when they when they figured out direct to consumer, and some old guy would show up on the TV and be like, "I ship my pants." <laughs> <laughs> we are definitely putting a link to that in our show notes to the YouTube. I think that's amazing. That commercial. I, I don't actually even know what you're talking about. I ship my I pants. It was a fever dream, but I have to. Yeah, I was a middle school. I started off in public health and I was a middle middle school and high school teacher mm-hmm. and taught taught sex education and health education. And so I had to have mm-hmm. the my the dirtiest, like most gutter <laughs> mind in the room if I wanted to get anything accomplished because I had to avoid those piles of shoulds that you could be stepping in, right? Like that's the you know, That's a superpower, so I, I, Rebecca. That's a superpower. One of my superpowers. It is one of my superpowers. I come by that it. Is a superpower. So- um, yeah, no, I think should would be, a, you know, a big part of it. I think the other thing that I would say, just recognize that the journey that they're on and the insights that they are going to to gather from their experiences are theirs to gather. Mm-hmm. And so being able to kind of hold space open, the way I think about it, and this is another term where we talked about the idea of supportive accountability and then attunement, but the last piece is a working alliance, which is to say that if the mentor is not working alongside you, right? If the mentor isn't rolling up their sleeves and, and really showing their investment, not by doing it for you or even doing it with you, but by being invested in you, not the result. If they're not doing that, then you're going to have a hard time forming working alliance. That's all you need to have. You, the mentee has to trust that that person is in it, in that role as a mentor, because they are invested in that person, them as mm-hmm. a person, not the result of the mentoring experience. And I think that's an important piece. If you get too focused 
on what the goal is or, you know, that kind of thing. And you make it, that's when you sort of get into that savior mentality. Let me roll up my sleeves and do it for you. Or let me, that's where you get into that. And what you're really communicating is I actually don't trust that you have this. I actually don't believe you can do it because as soon as you roll up your sleeves and you start doing for somebody, what you're doing is showing them they don't know how to, or they can't. And so, you know, rather than sort of saying yet, like the other thing I would say is use the word yet all the time, right? Yeah. You don't know how to do that yet. Or you don't know how to do that and you don't want to. And that's okay too. You can choose to not face that battle or you can just choose to not be good at that thing. That's okay too. You don't have to be, it's not about creating or, you know, personal growth is not a sport. (laughs) I mean, that's not what social media tells me. Right. But I think that if you, if you have that feeling, because that's usually the telltale sign that the mentor is actually in it for themselves. Yeah. I love it. Rebecca, in in the spirit of time, I want to ask you a quick rapid fire association with a handful of words here. Okay. This is as, as much of a verbal Rorschach test as possible here. I just told you as sex ed teacher, don't do that to me. Like <laughs> it's Friday afternoon. Yeah, it's we're, gonna... And I'm gonna be like, ah. <laughs> we're gonna do our best here. <laughs> I love it. The, no, the, these these are I think mainly uh, words that are fair, uh, whatever that means. So rapid fire association. When I say the word mentor, what do you say? Coach. When I say the word mentee, what do you say? Person. Person. When I say sponsor, what do you say? Opportunity. And lastly, a word you've already mentioned. If I say coach, what would you say? Sports. <laughs> sports. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> mentor, coach, sports. It's all tied together. So we were well, supposed to You wanted coaching. sports to be experienced more mentorship. And there you have it. There you go. Yeah. I, you, you laid it out for me. Although I do have to say, for as a brander, when you said mentor, I was surprised you didn't say hub. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Bad on me. Yeah. You can tell we're two business owners. <laughs> this, is the, this is the problem with being in the nonprofit realm for so long is that my self-promotion, like the, like the promotion of my organization comes second to understanding what the problem is. <laughs> so, so sometimes, many times, my organization can help solve the problem, but sometimes it can't and that's okay. And I'm that's one of those things where I think in the business world or in the for-profit world, they're kind of like, come on, think a little more creatively about how you can solve that how your solution is. We're here to mentor you if you need us. Good, because I definitely (laughs) need it. That's our sweet spot. And speaking of folks that are enamored with your organization, if you search Mentor Hub, there are a couple of different companies that are buying Google ads on your keyword. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah, you you have uh, cost per click admirers. What does that mean? It means that you know Google's going to have an algorithm where you can buy ads in the background on certain keywords. And the keywords Mentor Hub, there are at least three different companies that are both, they're bidding more or less to own those clicks and show up above your website in search results. Oh, well, we, we have the trademark, copyright, trademark yeah. for Mentor Hub. So that's good. But it is one of those things where like I Google Mentor Hub and I'm like, oh, look at all these Mentor Hubs out there. <laughs> Are you a business professor? Do you teach business? I teach uh, entrepreneurship. Okay. I'm going to definitely seek you out as a mentor because I definitely need this. Julie and I are a better team. You might not be fully learned on Google AdWords yet, but soon. Yet. Yet. But soon. Yet. And we're not saying you should learn. Yeah. No, maybe there's... you want to have somebody on your team who does know. And This is true. This is true. Yes. Yes. up to you. Yes. I heard that today. And but... we're here to help you in the meantime. We're yeah. fabulous. Yeah. Any way we can help. Rebecca, this was so fun. I am so grateful that we met you. 
And I love what you're doing. I love, we're just so energized about the field and having people like you in the forefront running nonprofits um, and offering these solutions to so many people. It's just so inspiring. And we hope that we can continue our conversations and our journey together. I would love that. So Julie, how exciting was it that I was about to say that Rebecca Ackerman basically on fire and made our Friday afternoon and the fire alarms went off. It's just <laughs> always manifesting to me. It's just too hot in here. She's just dropping vocab, making it happen, gift to gab. Rebecca I mean, she was a middle school sex ed teacher, so I gotta know. <laughs> what can you say about that? She's the person who can, you know, manage to get around all of the uh, dead ends in potential relationships and discussions and lead people to actually work productively together. I mean, Mentor Hub. Wow. Incredible. Incredible. I, my mood ring went from, I can't remember like all the different colors in a mood ring. I used to have one, but. Mood rings were always mauve. That, I, that think was... mauve. I think it's mauve. <laughs> I think it's mauve. I think, I know if you're. I know in Boston, they call it mauve, but in the Midwest, they called it mauve. Yeah, that wasn't a color. I don't know what happened. That was weird. Oh, I think Lord. maybe it was like light pink, but now I guess my I guess it's all purple now because I'm in such a great mood from her incredible energy. And I did not get a chance to share the group that I really wanted to create a mentoring program for. Nobody asked me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Do you want to know? Oh, I'm so excited Julie, to what, tell you. <laughs> what group? What group needed the help? Geriatric entrepreneurs. I really have like a deep passion for like octogenarian entrepreneurs starting new ventures. And I feel that they are a group that could use a little mentoring support. And I've heard quite a bit, actually, uh, a colleague of mine is investing in a company that is pairing people over the age of 65 or 70 with others in their community to do service. But I think in the entrepreneurial world, I think that would be really cool. So that's my next jam, octogenarian entrepreneur mentoring. And talk about a great way to flip the standard trope of the, the old person behind the desk. Instead, this would be, I'm just going to guess that most of the mentors would be younger than the octogenarian population. Unless they're mentoring each other. Unless we create so many octogenarian entrepreneur millionaires that become the thing. It's my goal. It's just a lot of big words. You're going to need an encyclopedia of <laughs> octogenarian entrepreneur millionaires. I'll bust that out. I'll bust that out shortly. But yeah, that was super fun. I am so excited that Rebecca is such a thought leader in this space and her, her teams are so lucky to have I'm her. I'm not just excited. Huh? I'm thankful. Yeah. Like we need people like her. I mean, the literally infectious on fire, seriously, like energy backed up by knowledge, tried and true practice, putting her resources where her mouth is like, that's a big freaking deal. Totally. It was great. And loved our exploration in the mentor hub back in Boston, the hub. I haven't heard that in a long time. But Rebecca was great. And I am excited to see where she goes next. Yeah, I mean, onwards and upwards. And I think it's also really exciting to see a nonprofit in the space that's chasing revenue, not just grants. Yeah. I think that's super important yeah. as well. You know, nonprofits don't mean non-revenue and hopefully it is still profitable. It just means they got to zero out their taxes at the end of the year and they can't carry over any losses. Otherwise, they still got to be run just like a business. So that's really exciting. And there's a lot of great models. I hope she calls us to mentor her because I'd be excited about that. Oh, if only we could be so lucky to spend more time with Rebecca. She was awesome. Can't wait to see what's next. Yeah. But I mean, first of all, what is your kryptonite? Obviously you have superpowers, Julie. So are you a superhero yet? 
I, I love that like everybody knows what their superpowers are, but if you haven't figured out your kryptonite, you're not a superhero. Ooh, okay. Because if you don't know that somewhere your should stinks, you're not a superhero. I have been shit on quite a lot. My... You've been shit on? Oh no. <laughs> I've been shit on. Well, I guess I can say for myself, my superpower is probably my ability to be fascinated by anybody, anytime with any story that they have to share and my energy. And I have a lot of kryptonite, but I really like details, details, details. Details kill me. Details make me want to cry. When she talked about agendas, not my thing. Yeah, it's your kryptonite. It's my kryptonite. So that was my takeaway. My takeaway was, you know, you got to you gotta understand your own kryptonite before you can be a superhero. And that I think a lot of mentors, for them to be excellent, they really need to be able to have looked inside themselves a bunch to be able to help somebody else. Therefore, I can always bring good energy to a mentoring conversation, but they have to be the one to set up the meeting and send the Zoom link. Hey, you scheduled the meeting today. You know, it only took us 20 <laughs> minutes to start. It was great. What about you? What, what's your superpower, Jimmy? Oh, my superpower? I don't think I have any superpowers. That's not true and too humble. And then it's going to make me be like, no, Jimmy, really, you have a bunch. Do you want me to tell you? Is probably not asking for help all that well. And really the kryptonite would be underestimating the amount of resources to get things done and being excited about getting things done. But what's your takeaway? Jimmy, my main takeaway was around supportive mm -hmm. accountability. What an incredible way to describe what mentoring is. It's helping somebody articulate their goals and supporting them in achieving it, but also like helping remind them what their goals are and keeping them accountable for them. I had not thought of that phrase before, but it's going to stick with me. Supportive accountability. I'm all over it. What about you? Supportive accountability to avoid the kryptonite. Well, I think our third takeaway, the OG takeaway, the OGTRO, is that every relationship in mentoring needs to have a purpose. And I think realizing how critical that is, is missed often. That even if your purpose is just showing up, as long as it's stated and you know where you're at, you can both feel like you are doing something productive each day rather than just making somebody smile. And what's important there is that if you are an introvert, it might be harder to enjoy the mentoring relationship because you're not drawing energy from yourself. But if your purpose is just that you showed up for that other person, you can still take a whole lot of value away from it, regardless of your intro versus extra version. I had not thought of that, the intro versus extra version of yourself, but I like that. That is the outro. Wow, you've made it this far and we thank you. Hopefully you enjoyed our episode and discovered new ways to bring more authentic connection into your mentoring relationships. Want to tell them more, Jimmy? Be an augmenter with us. Visit our website for the best interactive mentoring content at augmenters.us. Share our podcast with someone you care about. Like and subscribe. And yes, really, you following our show and writing a review, it's a big deal. Your actions provide us with the resources to continue our undefeated, unencumbered, prize-winning productions. We welcome questions and suggestions via email, hi at augmenters.us or on social with our handle at AugmentorsHQ. We are most active and available on LinkedIn and YouTube. Shout out an earnest thank you to our intrepid producer, Erlen Cato. We appreciate you. Augmenters out. See ya.